Membership fees apply after free trial. Cancel any time. Can I be real for a second? That goal you have to exercise and eat better, you really can do it. But nobody is going to do it for you. And nobody has to, because you can do it if you have the right tools and a community that cares about helping you get results. And that's us, Beachbody. It's as convenient as your TV or laptop, but you need to decide that you're worth it. Let us help you succeed. Here's how. Go to Beachbody.com to claim your free membership and start feeling great. segment on today's Big Blend Radio Show is about the powerful World War II documentary. It's called Return to Hardwick, home of the 93rd Bomb Group. And the bomb group, the 93rd Bomb Group, was one of the most decorated, most traveled, and most effective bomb groups of World War II. And they helped to cripple Hitler's Europe from the air. Um, They did some really daring bomb raids. And you can see this in the film, in this documentary. And it talks about, you know, the actual group's history, who they are, and share stories of their family traveling over from America to England uh, to really go to the air base. Now, Glenn Burrows uh, from Norfolk Tours, and he's one of our history experts and travel experts telling us what's going on in England. Uh, we've done segments with him about the airfields, the World War II airfields in England, just as another connection between the two countries. And he'll be on the show with us, uh, but also it is just really nice to watch this documentary and see his area but also, mm-hmm. you know, to explore, you know, an airbase that a lot of these are forgotten. And uh, this one is not, especially with this film. So we're excited to have filmmaker Michael Sellers back on. Well, not back on the show, but for his first time joining us on the show <laughs> to talk about this documentary. Thank you. Go to hard. Hi, Michael. How are you doing? Good, good. Thank you for having me. Hey, this is great. So, you know, we could be doing this in the middle of, of the airfield or we could do it in a winery. But today we're doing it in a winery. I hope that's okay with you. (laughs) That's okay. That's okay. You'll have to ship me some wine maybe later. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we recommend the Barn Owl. And actually, all of them, they're pretty good. Uh, I want to tell everyone to go to your website. It's hardwickfilm.com to get connected with everything. And you can get it on iTunes and also Amazon. And uh, But it's really, really a cool movie. It's very powerful in in regards to it's heartwarming. Um, and just the whole way you've done it, just the visuals, mm-hmm. going back in the history um, and having everyone tell their story. I thought it was really eye opening. And I think it's something important for us to watch and understand and not forget yeah. the heroes of World War II. Yes. Yes, that's correct. I mean, it's the, the film started in such a simple way. The, the 93rd Bomb Group, which was, was stationed over uh, in England during the war, they still meet today. They still meet today at reunions, and it's mainly the second and third generation that that meets. So, you know, they have projects. They're a nonprofit organization, and this idea of this film came up, and it started very simple. We thought it was just going to be a DVD to hand out to people, and it's kind of come into this now. Wow. I wish that these kind of documentaries could be shown in schools. Because I remember yes. as going through high school that, to me, history was, oh, no, not again. I'm so bored with it. Sorry, teachers. But um, I yes. think films like this would actually spark interest in history and a, a deeper understanding of what war is about and, and what actually happened. Yeah, I agree with you. And the one thing that I have been trying so hard in the last year is that we went kind of on the road uh, to museums and festivals, film festivals. And oh. the idea when you do that is you sort of gain interest in the film. You, you get people on board and, and you send your film off to distributors and say, hey, you wave your hands really high and go, notice us, we want to be distributed. And what that means is, is that they have the power to get it out to everybody else. So mm. not only are we, you know, on iTunes right now as a pre-order for June 9th coming out, um, they have down at the bottom of their list companies that distribute to libraries and educational institutions. 
So they have already made that deal, and the film will be sent to these places. Not only oh. your Walmarts, your Best Buys, and stuff like that, but that's one of their main goals. So I was really happy to see that on the list. That's awesome. wonderful. I want to bring mm. our next guest on the show here. Um, I was mentioning Glenn Burrows over in Norfolk, England, and so i got to bring him on, and I encourage you to go to his website, norfolk-tours.co.uk. You can listen to his previous interviews with us uh, through the years and read his articles. Just go to blendradioandtv.com. You'll see him in our expert department. So, Glenn, how are you doing over in jolly good England? I'm fantastic in lovely old jolly old good England. Thank you very much. <laughs> it's, it's great to have you back on, Glenn. And how was it? How did you enjoy the, the film watching that, because Nancy and I are going, it's Glenn's land. <laughs> Where's Glenn? Yes. Uh, so it, it's got to be, you know, being there and knowing that you take you take families to, like the World War II airfields yes. and on tours of the area for family history. I think this is a fabulous story of family history. Well, it is. I mean, that that, that is exactly what it's all about. It's about making a connection. Um, there was one lady there who... Uh, who went to where her father's billet was in the middle of a wood. They found an old piece of concrete, and that was where the billet was. And that's exactly the sort of thing that I do for people. Um, there, I had a, a gentleman over. He was actually a Liberator pilot who flew from Shipton, which is another airfield, and I was able to take him to where his billet was. And, and it's a really emotional time for people, you know, for people who were there, but obviously we've got less and less of those people left mm. um, you know I am taking I'm taking children of uh, of people who were over here and, and my one connection to Hardwick was um, I had some sisters come over whose dad was stationed at Hardwick uh, their mum was actually a nurse in Norwich Hospital and uh, oh, wow. they met they met at a dance in in Norwich um, and got married <laughs> in um, in the Roman Catholic Ooh. Cathedral in Norwich um, so with with my research that I did, I found the I found the newspaper article about their wedding, and I, I took the 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 girls to the um, cathedral, so they could nice. see where their parents were married, and the newspaper article actually said the pub where they had their wedding reception, and I was able to take them I was actually able to take them to the pub where their parents had their wedding reception, and. Wow. The really, the really, awesome. the really interesting thing for for me and and possibly for for Michael is um, that this particular chap came from Texas, and mm. some of the lads from Texas who were stationed at Hardwick actually put on a rodeo for people in Norwich while oh, they were over here. <laughs> wow! And, um, and there's uh, I went through the newspapers while the girls were here, um, ready for when the girls came. And there was quite a lot of reports about this rodeo in Norwich put on huh. for the locals by these by these Love Texan cowboys. Cool. Wow. So all of that, that is, sort of stuff is amazing. Wow. That is my culture there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know about Texas. Yeah. Um, that's Texas. Mike Wardia. <laughs> I want to bring Mike on. Mike is an amazing author, military historian, and he knows about teaching. So he and he's an awesome educator. I can say that personally, uh, especially with his books and shows with us. But uh, Mike, uh, you're from, you were in Texas, right, for a while? Indeed. That yeah. is my home state, as a matter of fact. So oh, now, well, have, have you ever ridden a mechanical bull? <laughs> uh, not very well, but I have had the experience. <laughs> yeah, no, welcome back, yeah. everyone. Go, go to Mike's website. It's MikeGuardia.com. And, uh, Mike, how many books are you on now? I, I can't keep up. All righty. Well, um, uh, hi, guys. I just want to say that it's great to be back yeah. on the show. And yeah, I know I'm creeping around here in the background. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, um, so uh, as of right now, I have 16 books in print. Uh, numbers 17 yeah. and 18 are coming out this year. And then 19 and 20 are going to be out in the uh, spring of 2021. He's really busy. Mike. He is. Uh, now, Mike, uh, uh, watching watching this documentary, uh, the other Michael did on the show. So you've got to be Mike and Michael's got to be Michael. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> how does that connect for you and some of the research that you do for what you write about on the military history? Well, uh, well, you know what I think really enriches the research um, process for me is the amount 
of uh, the, the amount of personal connections that you make along the way. Um, you know, uh, I, I found yeah. I found that the research process becomes exponentially more effective the deeper the personal connection is to it. Um, you know, mm. when you're out there yeah. and you're interviewing these veterans and you actually mm. sit down and you get to speak to them face to face and you, you hear all yeah. of the different intonations, you hear all of the changes and in inflections in their voice and you can, and you can really read their facial gestures and uh, you know, yeah. how they present themselves whenever they're going through old documents and you know, how they share even old photographs with you. Um, that in and of itself, I think, just adds a metaphysical element to it uh, that mm. exponentially increases the value of your work and gives it a greater downstream effect. Um, yeah. And uh, that's one of the things that I think uh, that I think making a documentary and mm. producing a documentary will give to the viewer that you really can't just get from a book. You know, you're, you're, you're able to have that, uh, you're able to have that living piece of history and that living mm. piece of oral history right. there in front of you in real time. And mm. uh, yeah, it, it's, it, it's really the personal connect and also the way that those personal connections motivate you. Uh, you know, they, uh, they really spur you on to find more projects and tell more stories. Mm. I, I, uh, I want to liken it in some ways, and I use the term loosely, but it's almost an intoxicating effect. You feel compelled to really put your heart and soul into the story and keep telling more stories because, mm. you know, it, it's, right. it, it's not only a personal satisfaction that you get from it. You, uh, you also do, I think, a greater public service by ensuring that these stories don't die along with the veterans. Yeah. Yeah, that's the sure. key there. That's definitely the key. Uh, Mike, first of all, thank you for those comments. I, I would say uh, it all starts with the books, though, because yeah. in doing this documentary, not only talking to the veterans and the people that are descendants from the veterans, we got to jump into the books because the books have the facts and that's where the records are. So a mm -hmm. uh, great mm -hmm. book on the 93rd is Ted's Traveling Circus that I jumped mm -hmm. into immediately at the history of the 93rd and got my, my head around that and, and what they went through. Uh, but, but yeah, thank you. It's, and then it's jumping out in the documentary to be able to capture all this stuff on camera. You got to get it on camera. That's the only mm -hmm. way you're going to make a true documentary and you hope you get the right stuff. And doing so, that, I, I wanted to touch base because I know you've done things like, you know, producing a man fire food series for food network and I've done independent yep. feature films. You've done all these different things. And yep. this to me, going into a documentary, like return to Hardwick, um, you are, like Michael was saying, about getting these personal stories and that personal connection. So integrity is a, is a big, plays a big role in this. And how it was does. that, actually yeah, filming, filming the veterans' families, the veterans, and, you know, that yeah. there's that, like, I, I don't know if I would breathe. <laughs> doing Membership fees apply after free trial. Cancel any time. Can I be real for a second? That goal you have to exercise and eat better? You really can do it, but nobody is going to do it for you. And nobody has to, because you can do it if you have the right tools and a community that cares about helping you get results. And that's us, Beachbody. It's as convenient as your TV or laptop, but you need to decide that you're worth it. Let us help you succeed. Here's how. Go to Beachbody.com to claim your free membership and start feeling great. Membership fees apply after free trial. Cancel any time. Can I be real for a second? That goal you have to exercise and eat better, you really can do it. But nobody is going to do it for you. And nobody has to, because you can do it if you have the right tools and a community that cares about helping you get results. And that's us, Beachbody. It's as convenient as your TV or laptop, but you need to decide that you're worth it. Let us help you succeed. Here's how. Go to Beachbody.com to claim your free membership and start feeling great. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, the entry in for me to this project, it started out very personal. My grandfather was a bombardier navigator in the 93rd bomb group. Uh, so, you know, going to reunions with him and him asking me, hey, you want to jump along? And a lot of, you know, the, the reunions in the States. But then my, my big one was 2001, Second Air Division had a reunion in Norwich. And I was just blown away. I just didn't realize how much these guys were loved when they went over. Um, and we got mm -hmm. the tour of the base. We got, 
you know, we went out to kind of what you see in the film a little bit of, of, of just taking in the land and where these guys were at. So seeing my grandfather there, being able to ask questions, then going to these reunions in the States after that, and then becoming part of his group, really, um, that's what, that was the entry in. And everybody started trusting me after that. They're like, oh, this is the, this is the kid that shows up with Gramps all the time. Uh, so, you know, they know me and they felt comfortable to sit down with me and talk to me. And sometimes it was multiple times to be able to sit down with them. And, and then you start getting all this footage and you start talking about the documentary that they want to do. And you kind of give a thumbs up and you say, yeah, I think we can do this. Let's source some photos from people. Let's see what uh, our kind of local historian that we have. His name is Don Morrison. He sort of archives a lot of stuff. He has got films of, of back then putting those all together. Then you start seeing like, okay, this is, this is something here. I think we can, we can put a documentary together. So that's how it kind of goes. I love it. I love it. Mm -hmm. And you know, Glenn, I know you take people out to these airfields, but isn't, mm -hmm. it's kind of interesting because we've talked about this. I remember with the millionaires uh, unit, the, was the first Air Force, the, the guys who started the U.S. Air Force um, out of, is it the Million, Millionaires Club, out of Yale College that they started flying. And it has to do with the skies. And um, I know they did in Florida. They started learning how to, you know, fly. And I was looking at these airplanes. And, Mike, these are a little bit different than your Tomcats, right? <laughs> your F-14s and 15s, these are a little bit different. But looking at these and thinking about what it was like to go up and be in those little planes. But Glenn, is it, be it's because of your skies, right? There's a reason why they chose the airfields to be in Norwich and in, in your area. Well, the one thing about Norfolk is it's relatively flat. I mean, we haven't got any mountains. I mean, we have got some hills, but they're not, they're not hills really. Uh, unless you're on a bicycle, then they're hills. Um, <laughs> but if, if you look if you look at where Norfolk is, we are really close to Germany, just across the North yep. Sea. And most most of their journey, actually, would be across the North Sea. You know, they, they wow. wouldn't have to fly across anywhere else. They would just have to right. fly across North Sea, and they would mm. be in Germany quite quickly. Uh, mm. And that was one of the best things about being in East Anglia, is that, you know, we we were really, really close to the continent. And, mm -hmm. um, and and it is quite amazing when you're driving around Norfolk and Suffolk just how many airfields there are. You know, I've, I've said before, my my son-in-law actually farms on on a, a World War II airfield. You know, his wow. his granddad his his granddad had, had took over the airfield, um, and the the farm tracks are on what used to be the perimeter track of the airfield. The the big barns are actually on what used to be where one of the hangars stood and the hard stand-ins are still there. The great wow. big metal the great big metal staples are still in the concrete where they tied the the uh, liberators down when it was windy. You know, all uh -huh. that sort of stuff is everywhere. You know, literally, mm. literally around the corner. You you fly across yeah. well if you go on to, onto um onto the Google Earth, if you look at Norfolk and just sort of look across Norfolk today, you'll see all the A's. And all of these yep. airfields are built along the same pattern where all the runways, there's three runways normally, sometimes four, and they all look like an A from above, you know, from the air. <laughs> and wow. there's loads of them in Norfolk. All you've got to do is have wow. a look on Google Earth, and, and you, you can wow. still see all these airfields. Well, you know, That's I right. think this is interesting because, it, Michael, do you think that your documentary can help also protect them from, you know, being forgotten like you know i know the story of the veterans but there's also yeah protecting these historical places and remnants well yeah yeah i you know that's an interesting thing and what i've learned early on is even back during the war you know the english people just wanted to get back to work they they wanted to yeah. get the land back yeah. they had a lot of farmers that needed this mm -hmm. land back uh hardwick mm -hmm. is broken up into four different farms so, you know, it kind of, unfortunately, they needed to bulldoze buildings down because they needed oh. to plant their crops. So uh, one thing mm. that, as you see in the film, and, and we sort of allude to that, that is surrounding that area too, and you know, like Glenn was talking about, are other bases that still house something, like a museum or some buildings that are left, 
where it represents what used to be there. So mm. I think we, we do tell that in the film pretty well, but it's mm-hmm. pretty hard. I mean, I even see news reports now of housing areas being built on an old airfield. Um, it's, oh, yeah. it's real estate. <laughs> so mm-hmm. you're going to yeah. have a problem yeah. uh, when money's involved. Yeah, that's, sure. that's a thing. Yeah. Um, Mike, um, yeah. I wanted to ask you, because, yeah. Mike, we've talked a lot about, you know, armor and moving armor like tanks, you know, their ammunition. And, like, these are it, – it's – fascinating to me all the different things we've talked about over the years tanks and planes and fighter jets but looking at these bombers like these airplanes like so they're dropping like bombs from these little planes like that's kind of wouldn't that's i would be worried like if i was going in one of those (laughs) like i would be a little nervous about this because it's like a little dinky plane i mean but were these were these these little dinky planes with their bombs was that kind of the start for things like the F-14 and F-15, like that was the beginning of them? Well, you have to keep in mind that uh, when you're talking about American bombers in World War II, uh, you had planes like the B-17, and you also had, you, you also had planes like the B-24, um, especially, when you're, especially when you're talking about the 93rd Bomb Group. And, um, yeah, the planes themselves were actually pretty big, um, and they were, they were built big, and they were also built to be very resilient, and uh, they could really take an incredible beating and still stay aloft in the air, which is one of the reasons why they called the B-17 the Flying Fortress. Um, you know, and also, you had uh, every time a bomber group went up, uh, they, they usually never went aloft without a fighter escort. Because mm. those bombers could inflict uh, an incredible amount of damage on both civilian and military targets, and mm-hmm. uh, they were they and and the bombers themselves were really prime targets for enemy fighters. You know, so much so that that during the Battle of Britain, the Luftwaffe put a pretty high price tag on uh, any type of Allied bomber that could be downed, because you know that was the uh, that really was the prime target and it was the most casualty producing weapon of the air arms on both sides. Uh, so it was, um, it was dangerous. And uh, it, you knew that every time you went aloft in a bomber, you were flying something pretty big and you were flying something resilient, but uh, you had a, uh, you had a bullseye painted over pretty much every square inch of that airplane because uh, anything that could fly on the enemy side really wanted you dead, and they were willing to throw pretty much anything they could at you to to bring you out of the air. Um, but and they were and they as a matter of fact, uh, they did like groups yeah. uh, from watching the documentary of how they flew together. Like I'm thinking about back then, and like now we have all the computer things and autopilots and stuff like that that I don't know anything about. Uh-huh little buttons that do things, but think back then how they were able to fly together in unison and then sometimes had to get separated, but like how they were able to do that. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. As a matter of fact, yeah, it's, um, uh... you're, yeah. It, it was, uh, it was right around the end of world war two. And I think right around the time of Korea, um, that, uh, uh, that, you had this mentality going through the U S air force. I don't know if it was the same in the RAF, but uh, you know, just given the amount of peril that bomber pilots put themselves through, there was a little jingle that started going through the air force that said fighter pilots make movies, but bomber pilots make history. Wow. 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 Mike, Michael, what were you going to say in there? Well, I was going to say to the fact of, you know, not knowing what all those buttons do, a lot of those guys, when they had to form up for a mission, they were not only coming from one bomb group and say, for the example, the 93rd bomb group, but there were, say, a few bomb groups that day that needed to meet up in the air. So, yes, imagine doing that without really, uh, you know, at the time radar was coming out and was fairly new. Uh, It wasn't perfected, but, but they did use it. But to be able to bring all these planes up and say from the 93rd, maybe 26 planes go up at once, and then a base 15 miles away, they need to send their planes up, and all those bomb bomb planes, the bombers need to meet at some point in the sky and then go over to Europe there, uh, over the North Sea. So 
how they did it, I don't know, but it is pretty amazing to be able to form up all those bombers and, and get over there. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm sorry, he... they still look like dinky planes compared to like, you no, know, they're not planes. dinky, they're big. <laughs> but I know. I know. I they, you. When they, when they drop the bombs, because you watch the films and um, you always see the plane that drops the bomb gets out of there as the bombs are dropping in sequence in different places. And um, so the plane is gone before the bombs actually hit ground. Do they calculate, like, I, I just remember an algebra teacher telling me if you were going to be in the Air Force and drop bombs, you would need to know algebra so you could drop the bombs in the right place. Yes. And I always thought that was yes. a little, so it is true. It was telling well, the Well, they truth. had a, a very secretive device called the Norden bomb site. And that, mm. that bomb site, every plane, every bomber was fixed with that in their nose. Uh, this is something my grandfather did during the war. And wow. that sort of did your calculations for you. Uh, Mike may oh. have even a more technical breakdown of this device, but it was a very secretive device that was taken out of the plane every time they landed. They had to go get it checked. Oh. It was put in a locker. Uh, if the plane did crash, my grandfather had a 45 gun uh, on his side, and he was told to shoot through the middle glass uh, oh. if they did crash, land if he survived. So that technology would not be picked up by the Germans. So, so they did wow. have this. This was, this was there, and it was something that they physically looked at. And at one point, when they do come over the target, the bombardier actually takes control of the plane. The lead plane is actually oh. flying with that device. And then once the bombs come out from the lead plane, all the other planes behind see that happening, and they drop their bombs at the same time. Wow. 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 Yes. I mean, Mike, when when you were you were asking about how they actually um, met up in uh, in each of the bases, they had um, a guide airplane that was painted in really striking colors and yeah. patterns, and then that lead aircraft took them. Out. Membership fees apply after free trial. Cancel any time. Can I be real for a second? That goal you have to exercise and eat better, you really can do it. But nobody is going to do it for you. And nobody has to, because you can do it, if you have the right tools, and a community that cares about helping you get results. And that's us, Beachbody. It's as convenient as your TV or laptop, but you need to decide that you're worth it. Let us help you succeed. Here's how. Go to Beachbody.com to claim your free membership and start feeling great. Over the North Sea, and that was where they all met up. So, like you say, about 20 from one and 20 from another they would all yeah. meet up over the North Sea and then go on to Germany. And mm. also talking about talking about bombing and things. When um, when I had my um, my Liberator pilot who came over, um, he was telling me all about how they did different things. But when he went back to America, he then worked for NASA, and mm. he was the he was the bloke who who worked out the trajectory for um, the Voyager trip to Mars. And, wow. and yeah. I, was, I, was, I was talking to him about that one day, and he said that the reason that was really complicated was because Voyager was moving, Mars was moving, and the Earth was moving. So we had three <laughs> different things that were moving, and he had to work out when the one that he wanted to was going to hit the one that he wanted it to hit. And that wow. was really difficult. Right. And that's the same thing as, as dropping a bomb, because you actually drop a bomb not actually where you want to drop it because yeah. you're probably 20 miles right. away from it. But you have to drop it right. because the bomb, is, the bomb is still going to keep traveling even when it's come out of the airplane. So, you know, it, yeah. it was quite complicated. And See, that's just like bomb. when I took archery, the arrow never went where I wanted it to go. It went <laughs> sideways. <laughs> well, that's because you're in the vineyard. <laughs> Mike, I wanted yeah. you to touch on, on, the, on the secret thing. I mean, isn't that kind of when we were talking yes. about the – you know, the fighter jets, that that's kind of, there were hidden things too. Like you had to be careful of the enemy knowing what you, you have. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, the, um, the whole bombsite device was actually predicated on a concept called parallax. And uh, it's where it's how you calculate the distance from what you want to shoot to where you're actually aiming from. And 
the, the whole device was built to compensate for that. And there was a series of equations that you had to do that I know involved adding vectors together to know exactly when you would be in proximity to a target based on your relative airspeed and velocity, and you would have to hit the switch at exactly the right time given flight distance. I mean, it was a pretty complicated and pretty thought, pretty thought heavy process, but uh, yeah, it was, um, it was an incredibly secret device that, uh, you know, they, they they figured that the Germans probably had something comparable, but when you consider the fact that we had a greater percentage of accuracy with the carpet bombing that we did, we said this is one thing that we can't allow to fall into Axis hands. Mm. Wow, wow. wow. Yeah. So I want to go back to you, Michael. Um, you have mm-hmm. the narrator is Michael Cudlitz, another Michael <laughs> from The Walking Dead. Yeah, another Dead Michael, Michael Cudlitz. Yeah, Cudlitz. Yeah, Michael Cudlitz. So tell, tell us about him getting involved because it seems that he's got in. I, I know that there's, you know, all, there's a bunch of, you know, folks who we all geek out on different things, and it seems like this is part of his. Uh, you know, it it touches him, and to be able yeah. to do this, and yeah, uh, he's also part of the World War II series Band of Brothers, so maybe he has a special affinity for World War II history. Yeah, he he definitely does. I mean, the idea came up uh, when we were probably about a year into the project, and and moving forward, we had a little bit of a open of the film cut and you know, members of the group, you have to understand this film was funded just by members and friends, families of the 93rd bomb group. There was no outside studio. There Mm -hmm. was no uh, rich uncle. There was no, nobody. These guys (laughs) got their money together and threw all their money in the pot basically to make the documentary. So once that was happening and we were like, Oh my gosh, even I was, I mean, I've got a full-time job here in New York city, you know, editing and post managing and, uh, I was like, whoa, these guys are serious. I'm going to have to, <laughs> I'm actually going to have to do this thing. So um, I, I suggested the idea of getting somebody with a name just because it gives a little more notoriety, notoriety to the film. It may step it up in a few places when we screen. Uh, so um, people were throwing, of course, all the veterans were, well, let's get Tom Hanks and Gary Sinise. And these are all good ideas. It just is like, well, are they available? And we did try to reach out to those guys. Um, but mm-hmm. one, uh, a person uh, named Jim Root, who's a president, second generation in the, in the organization, said, you know, I have a friend that knows Michael Cudlitz. And then I even had to kind of like, Michael Cudlitz, oh, he's in Band of Brothers, and you do a little research. So, yeah, that might work. There's actually a link there. So somehow through the channels, uh, I'm at work one day, and I get a call on my phone, and it's Michael Cudlitz. And he's like, hey, here you got a film. What do you need? So he was game from the beginning. Wow. Um, And since then, he did the introduction with us. So there is an on-camera introduction with him at the top of the film. He narrates the film. And that's over a few years where he would read some copy for me when I needed it. Uh, And then just last year, even into this year, uh, February, we were at the Sedona International Film Festival. And he's, he's been to three different events with me physically there. So representing the film. So uh, it's, it's a part of him that, that he wants, he wants to do this. He's no, he knows what these guys went through. Obviously uh, what he did in band of brothers, he went through all that training and then actually shot those episodes. So he has a real high respect for that. And this sort of popped up. Uh, Obviously what he did was on the ground. This is the air war, but no matter what he wanted to get involved. Oh, That's now cool. did did you learn stuff? Did you like kind of get, you know, when you start a project, then you get knee deep in it, and then you start like, okay, now this could be like a series. Like, did you kind of find yourself yeah. kind of geeking out on World War II history? Like, now is it a big part of your life from doing this? It is. I mean, it has ever since I went to that first reunion in Norwich uh, with uh, my grandfather. I mean, after I came back from that, I put my own home family video together. It was like an hour video of our trip. Uh, I started interviewing my grandfather more. Um, of course, you get on TV and you watch films in the movie theater and you go and, and seek out this stuff. And it's always been there in the background, but it really allowed me to focus in more. And, and especially, again, going to these reunions with him and seeing these guys. I mean, one of the raids mm-hmm. that we 
profile in the film is the Ploesti raid, which you talk about dropping bombs from a high, tar- you know, very high and, and the target mm. like mile down or so. This was wow. a low level raid. This was like they're in the corn stalks, basically flying to this oil field that Germany has taken over from Romania to fill their tanks with. And, mm. you know, that kind of stuff. Here's, you know, a guy named Lou Brown sitting right next to me at the bomb group reunion and he was on that mission and survived so you really Mm. it starts to hit you after a while where whoa wait a minute (laughs) that was a crazy mission when you start adding it up it's it's tough not to get into it you're just naturally going to be interested wow we went we went to the channel islands between england and france and on one of the islands there's that underground german hospital from world war ii it's the creepiest oh, thing it's creepy. ever. And you go underground and the the walls are dripping with water and there's moss all over and there's beds in there. And it Whoa. that and then you when you come up the steps and you stand on the bluff and you look it's a beautiful sunny day. The ocean's beautiful and it's a little breezy and yeah. the plants are there. But when you go underground it's like a whole other mm-hmm. world. And well world. and that's like when one of the times when um war sinks in as it was real for me at least mm-hmm. and because there you could see the actual beds and they had like bed pans and uh, water jugs and everything from from the war and um, we talked to some people Maybe. and they called it the occupation they, when the, they when the Nazis took took over my step-grandfather yeah. Yeah. you know he was part of that they they he was basic they took mm. over the Channel Islands, and they wouldn't yeah. allow them, you know, to do all these things. And you, you he had to like, they were like cook, cooks and clean, gardeners, and you know, they were like oh servants for the Nazis. And they wouldn't mm-hmm. let him have radios. And my step grandfather knew how to rig up the radio. And it's, yeah. you know, it's the one thing I know of him. He had a Russian radio, right? Yeah, Remember, yeah, even when did. we lived in Mexico oh. with him, he was like dialing Russia really? and digging. I mean, he he knew how oh. to get whatever. <laughs> I don't know what's going on with, you know, him and his radios, but he did it. He could, yeah. he could yeah. I mean, I thought he was going to bring the aliens in at some time, you know. I know. He could, he could make That's anything amazing. out of it. But he really, he learned how to do all that stuff. And um, they were very malnutritioned um, as well. They didn't get food. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, so mm-hmm. there was, you know, it, it was a really... Big thing, and I think that's you know, like Mike was saying, there's this power of the documentary where you actually see it and feel it. Um, there's that visual, and then the people talking. It's like, oh wow, this is this is some real. You know, if you can't travel and see the places, this is going to bring you there. But yeah. I wanted to go to mm-hmm. Glenn. Glenn, it's interesting because you were talking about your your guests that you took around are from Texas, and then there's the Texas family on the documentary. Um, they're also yeah. part of the uh, you know family of the bomb group, the 93rd bomb group. But you've got to see that that experience, like what Nancy and I are talking about with the hospital underground in Guernsey. And we say Guernsey. Guernsey. Guernsey and Jersey, yeah. Yeah. The thing that I always find is it's the raw emotion. It's mm-hmm. that real, real gut-wrenching connection I mean, mm-hmm. the the family that I had over, who um, whose dad was at, at Hardwick, um, they there was one elder sister who had already been over to England donkey's years before to see her grandparents who still lived in in England, and she said to me, she said, oh, "Can you take us to Yarmouth? Because when I came mm-hmm. over here with Mum, I walked along the seafront and and we had a Mr. Whitby." <laughs> and, yeah. Oh, yay! Yeah. I love my whip- so, Mr. Whippies. I miss them. I'll go to England just for a Mr. Whippy and cheese scone. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, I parked up on the seafront, and the girls got out of the car, and they they walked along the seafront, and they bought a Mr. Whippy from the ice cream man. <laughs> and when they came back, they were talking about it, and it was all I could do to not cry mm-hmm. because yeah. it was so, so charged. You know, their mm-hmm. emotion... Yeah. Their emotion was tangible. It really was. And yeah, and they awesome. were talking about they were talking about their family history, which has got absolutely nothing to do with me. But it was so char it was 
I know in, in England we often say that uh, an atmosphere is sliceable, mm. and 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 that atmosphere in the car that day was was literally sliceable. It was so strong, wow. and it's it's for that reason that I really love my job, because mm-hmm. not only not only do I make my customers cry, I sometimes make myself cry, which yes. <laughs> which is really 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 yeah. good. But uh, you know, that means it's that's working. It's, all, it's, a, it's good. Mm-hmm. It's about connection. It's connection. Mm. Yeah. Great. Uh, now, Michael, it sounds like you've had a Mr. Whippy too. <laughs> I have, in fact, yeah. We I had to go to Hardwick a few times uh, to do all the drone shots in the film, and oh. one of my friends over there, Colin Mann, uh, we took a trip out as well. <laughs> It was a little bit windy that day. It gets very windy over there. But, yes, I, I, I have been there and done that. Yes, the Mr. Whippy. It's, it's so a childhood a, memory. This, this is a good trio. So Mike Guardia writes the book, and Michael gets, produces yeah. a film, and Glenn takes you to all the sites you need to film. I know. Yeah, that's that's good, that's good, good trio. Good trio. Right on. Yeah, I like this. This is awesome. <laughs> I like this. So. So, Mike, you know, this is the thing, too. I mean, when I think about all the people you've interviewed over the years, it's so it's special to have that. You know, when I think about Hal Moore, you know, um, mm-hmm. he would he would have I think he would have enjoyed this documentary. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You he uh, he loved watching documentaries. And, uh, yeah, I could tell that uh, I could tell that being interviewed for the numerous documentaries he sat for. Right? It, it in a lot of ways was therapeutic for him. Mm hmm. Oh, that's sure. a that's a good point too. Yeah. yeah. That the therapy yeah. part of it and being able to speak and it's a different thing because I think, you know, we've had uh, opportunities to um you know, chat with if if it's not like a direct interview, it just be comfortable and um you know, veterans of war of different wars we've interviewed over the years and there's a there's just this way of like you're not you know, don't don't be like the drill sergeant. You know what I mean? You've got to kind of calm down and and really sit and listen and um, make right. them, everybody that you're talking to so comfortable. You know, to be able to hear the story and then some some folks want to tell it and they'll tell it over and over again. So everyone's kind of different. Michael, yeah. for this, you know, yeah. it was interesting because you also had the family discovering things. It was you had yeah. both, which that's got to be. Yeah. You know. Yeah, it's and you know there's an example with uh, Gail who is in the film, which she had she's been back to Hardwick one other time, and you know following her journey and and being able to, you know I didn't really know if Gail was going to be part of the film. I you know you just start rolling the camera, and I had met her first actually on that trip. So, uh, but you start making notes, and you realize that things the puzzle starts to come together and in asking her, she told me, Oh yeah, I've got photos. I said, Oh, that's great. You know, most people have photos. She's like, I've got letters. I'm like, Oh, you've wow. got letters. Well, yeah. And then amazing. finding, finding out that it was her mother that mm-hmm. wrote all these letters and cool. from a female's perspective, uh, being in the red mm-hmm. cross on the base, it wow. just all started to line up. The boxes started to check and I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. there's something here. So, uh, my family lives in Missouri, and Gail is from Missouri. So when I went to visit my mm. family a few years ago, I would travel down to Springfield, and I interviewed her a couple times. So uh, it was nice in that way that that we sort of had that connection. And even the end of the film is a little bit of a surprise. We had to go kind of back to the church there uh, because mm. uh, we didn't get it the first time. It, that trip was mm. so quick, uh, but mm. we were able to kind of seamlessly put it in the film to where she was able to, and I won't spoil it, but she was able to do something at the church that was, that was pretty mm-hmm. special. So that you know, was you have to kind of, like you said, Goosebumps. yeah, you have to warm up to these people. I mean, that's really what you have to do because mm-hmm. otherwise you're going to get a few comments here and there, but you really just have to keep at it. And really listen. And, and it's like really, really take time to listen. And because it is mind blowing yeah. and, and you know, it's later that you'll sit down and re-listen and like, wow, they just said that. And I thought mm-hmm. when the, I love the fact that you had a woman's story in there because I think women in mm-hmm. World War II, a lot of times you don't hear that side, you know, you there's, don't. there's, That's true. there's Rosie the Riveters and everything, but not actually out there doing things and on the front yes. lines. And 
And I thought, we watched it yesterday, right, with our bar now mm-hmm. wine from Mesa Vineyards here, Mesa Park Vineyards. We were watching it. And, and Glenn, with that wine. was for you because I know you love bar and they're out in your area. Yes, um, yes. But, but it was interesting because I'm going, yeah, it, yesterday was Clara Barton's birthday, and she started the Red Cross. Yesterday was International Red Cross Day. I thought that was pretty cool because oh. she did. And you know she has her own tree in Sequoia National Park? Yes, she does. <laughs> yeah, she does. She has her own tree. Her own sequoia tree. She doesn't you know, know about it, but it's there. But she does. <laughs> but she does, you know. But the other part that you touched on that I thought was um, really powerful was the POW camps and what happened. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, um, that is something we kind of, that always has to be looked at. We have prisoner of war camps all over the Southwest. And then and mm-hmm. they house Germans and Italians. And it seems I want to start digging around and more information on that as we're traveling around because it it seems right. that there's there's paintings. Like I know people have paintings from prisoners of war that were they were doing paintings. They were there's some I know that they were passing on knowledge here. Like mm-hmm. some of them they wouldn't let go because they had stuff. They had information or art, which I didn't think would be a story, but it is. So it's a very interesting thing, but they to be part of a prisoner of war experience that is that's got to be one of the scary that's scarier than being in the dinky plane that's not a dinky plane. Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, I would agree. Yeah, Can't imagine it really. No, yeah. it's that you you did a good job on that of showcasing mm-hmm. and, and telling the story of the past. But thank you all for joining us on the show today, and uh, really, I, I oh, really yeah, appreciate thank you. all you your knowledge and what you're doing Absolutely. Um, again go to yeah thank you mike mike guardia everyone uh, go to mikeguardia.com and uh, also go to blendradioandtv.com you'll see him in our expert department also glenn in there you can listen to past interviews read articles and uh, mike uh, we're looking forward to the next book and next conversation we do have <clears throat> more fremont uh, colonel fremont uh, general fremont is he a general yeah fremont stories yeah. for you by the way where we just we landed okay. all over the place in Nevada, and uh, so we, we'll be chatting with you soon on our general story. And uh, everyone, Glenn Burrows, go to Norfolk-Tours.co.uk and connect with him there. Especially if you're doing family history, he'll help connect with you. And even right now, during all this, you know, COVID stuff, Glenn, are you working people with people online, right? Help them. Yeah, yeah, I'm up, up there. I'm I'm trying to help people uh, just to do family history research to keep me busy. Mm-hmm. That's great. That's, That's great. Awesome. And Michael, again, it's hardwickfilm.com, everybody. You can go on there, watch the trailer yep. and everything, but uh, go to iTunes, right? Apple.com. And we'll put the links up on yeah. our site too. And Amazon, right? To get the, yeah. get the film. Yeah. So what's happening? Yeah. June 9th, June 9th is the official release digitally uh, and also cable and satellite here in the U S at this point, it's only U S and Canada, but, uh, June 9th, you should be able to get, catch it. If you want to pre-order DVDs, Amazon, pre-order uh, on iTunes, you can do it right now. Awesome. Right on. Right on. Well, thank you for your work. Are you, okay, right before you go, Michael, you. are you going to do another one? Are you going to do more stories like this? Because, like, you've got, you've got a thing for I it. Do. Good. I do. I already – Yes, I, I've got one. I've got one already in, 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 the, in the book. So it's, I'm reading the books first, of course. Uh, Can you tell it, us? it actually has to do with the with the Ploesi raid, um, hmm. and, and and what that, that that story is a complete two more movies practically. Uh, wow! And you know, to talk about POW camps. Those guys, hmm. uh, seventy nine, were interned up there uh, in the uh, POW camps uh, in in hmm. Romania. So there's there's a whole whole other story there. So I'm really excited to um, maybe jump into that. Well, can I, can I quickly posted. come in there? Can yes. I quickly come in there? I've got, yeah, I've sure. got a, a very, very, very good contact in, in Romania who speaks very good English. So if you want a contact in oh. Romania, I've got one. Great. I'll, cool. uh, I'll get in touch with you. I think I, I'll follow you on social media there and get in touch with you. Yeah, cool. Thank good. you. Yeah. Lovely job. Right on. Right on, guys. Thank you, guys. And, and of course, this is an excellent time to have the show since it's Memorial Weekend and uh, Memorial yeah. Day being on Monday. So uh, mm-hmm. everyone, well. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you, guys. We're going to play a song. It's called Beneath a Solemn Sky. It is from our friends over in Jacksonville, Florida. 
the Gunboat Diplomats. We love this band, so we're going to play that. Yeah. So keep up with them at the Thanks, Gunboat Taylor. Thank Diplomats. You. you take care, guys. Bye-bye. Thank you, guys. Bye. All righty. Thank Bye-bye. you, ladies. Thank Bye. You. chapel in the sand Where the wicked and the faithful Come to make their final stand As another bitter season ends Now the hour is at hand For the seeds of hope have fallen on parched and stony ground. Can you hear the prophets calling as the world keeps spinning round? But it all goes with the territory and for what it's worth. The meek and brave prepare a grave in the dusty barren earth. While the bones of last week's promises are buried in the square. The saints and doubting Thomases all bow their heads in prayer. But the words will bring no comfort to the foolish or the wise. Till the heavens rain on the brittle grain like teardrops from the quiet, solemn sky. Clouds are gathering, a shadow on the land. So rejoice, you sons and daughters, but wouldn't it be rich if the holy healing waters soon undermined the bridge, rushing up to breach the levee on that long and faithful day? Till the rising flood made it clear as mud All the sins are washed away Down the ancient winding river To the dark and briny sea Now these old foundations shiver At the sacred memory Of that brief and blessed moment When providence supplied A sad lament for the penitent Who are damn well sanctified Oh 